Um, we're going through a phase uh, with our kids at the moment where um, <clears throat> when we shout, they tend not to come. Um, I say wistfully it's a phase because I'm not sure it was ever different and um, I suspect it's probably not going to change. And in fact, on reflection, even the dog uh, responds similarly. I notice that they come when uh, the call is for something they really want, right? Uh, I, I'm not going to think of an example because that might embarrass the family, but, um, you know, come for this, and all of a sudden there's a stampede from the garden as they race for the thing. If it's come for dinner or can you please come and tidy your room, as I'm hoping it's not a unique experience, it takes about ten shouts uh, as the volume gradually increases and the energy level rises uh, and uh, the response becomes diminishing uh, with, with every volume increase. And um, as ever, in, sometimes in these moments, you see a microcosm of kind of human life, right? This is sometimes how we can be with the voice of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Um, we're not always as quick to respond in the same way that our kids are not always as quick to respond as we would, we would like. And uh, do you know, brothers and sisters, words have always been powerful. If you think about the very way Scripture opens, um, I, and you read Genesis chapter 1 there, you, you are left with, without any doubt at all as to what the creative spark was that brought everything into being. There's no doubt about it, is there? It wasn't chemistry or biology or physics. It was, and God said... Ten times there in Genesis chapter one, where just as you begin opening, you know, it's like a classic novel, isn't it? You open and the first page has got to grip you. And God wants to present himself to you on the very opening of the first scroll. This is how it's going to work. My, my voice, my words are exceedingly powerful. And God said, let there be light. And there was. And God said, let the waters be separated from the dry land. And, and it was. And God said, let the, let the seas teem with living creatures. And it was. And God said ten times. And there's no question, is there? And of course it was an important statement as you begin opening the first scroll. Because there's a lot of scrolls that we're going to follow. That we're going to document God's dealings with humans throughout history. And lay out his plan in words. And those words had the capability, the potential, the power to change and to create and to ignite. Words have always been very powerful, and especially when they're God's words. Can any of you remember how, uh, uh, this is a test your Sunday school proofs now, without looking at it. Can you remember how Hebrews chapter 11 begins? Come on, can somebody start us off? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right, that's verse 1. Can anybody remember verse 2? I don't... Right, right, the elders obtained a good report. We're getting less down the popular proofs now. Uh, anybody remember verse 3? For by faith we believe that the world was made by the word of God. Have you ever wondered why, when, when the writer began that chapter, which is so famous, isn't it, of all these people, this was the opening sequence. 
By faith, the elders obtained a good report, and by faith we believe that the worlds were made by the word of God. And now he's going to move on to say, well, and by faith, Enoch, and by faith, Noah, and by faith, Abraham, and so on and so on. And the point the apostle wanted to make was, do you remember that creative spark that happened in Genesis when God said, and it was done, there was a, there was a deep-seated uh, lesson wrapped up in that philosophy that was, what God did to creation, he wants to do to you. That when God speaks, he wants something to happen. He wants that creative energy to be translated into action. And by faith we believe that the worlds were made by the word of God so that things which are made are not, uh, things which are seen are not made of things which do appear by faith Enoch. And what he's going to go on to give you now is a catalogue of people who followed that creative model. God spoke and it was done. So when God said to Enoch, he believed it and he did it. And when God said to Noah, Noah, I want to build an ark for the saving of your house. Noah did it. There was a creative spark from God's word and there was a response. And that's what we're to learn. I mean, we're broad brush now, aren't we? From Genesis chapter one. God said and it was done. And the one thing that tends not to happen so instinctively when God speaks is that human beings become into the image of God. When God said, let there be light, there was. When God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, the process took a little longer. And in fact, it's not quite done, is it? Because the only thing that doesn't respond as instinctively as everything else in creation to the voice of God is you and me. It's the great irony, isn't it, that the one pinnacle of God's creation doesn't as naturally, inherently, automatically behave in a way that is a natural consequence of the creative word with which it was made by God in the beginning. And that's why this word is laid out before us, isn't it? This word is able to make you wise unto salvation. This word is enabled to embed itself in the recesses of your hearts and minds and to create change and to gradually, slowly turn us into men and women in the image and after the likeness of God himself. And it's the reason, in a way, isn't it, why when John introduces us to the Lord Jesus Christ at the beginning of his gospel, he describes him as the word made flesh, doesn't he? And he's taking you right back to Genesis again, isn't he? And he said, I want you to now see that creative process in the life of a man. You you haven't seen that before in quite the way you're now going to see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. That when God said, let there be light, and there was, I want you to see now, says John, what that looks like when God said to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and spoke to him and filled him with his word, what that looked like in action. And John now is going to present the Lord Jesus Christ in this way. Will you just come with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6? Because the Lord Jesus himself now is presented by John here as one who, when he speaks, that, that word is powerful and, uh, and gives life. John chapter 6, and you remember the occasion here. This is the end of the discourse after the feeding of the 5,000. And... Um, 
These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 6, 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he will live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. It's a very challenging statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's using these extraordinary multiple metaphors about eating his flesh and the bread from heaven. And in fact, in verse 60, it says, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? But then Jesus goes on to say, verse 62, what and if you will see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It's the spirit that quickens, makes you alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's a beautiful thing, that, isn't it? That's, that's why we're here, isn't it? Because the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are not just interesting. They are interesting. But their, their intention, their, their driving force is to instill life. And you might think to yourself, I've already got life. You know, I'm here, I'm breathing, my heart's pumping. Clearly Jesus means something more than what you've got already. There is, a, there is an essence of life that can, that can be attained by the embracing of the power of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus wants to, uh, wants to convey here. Now it's worth just thinking about this word life for a moment to make sure we've really we've really understood it because um, particularly how the Lord Jesus uses it because there's just one word here in the English for these Greek words that are being used by the Lord Jesus Christ um, uh, but uh, more than that um, if we can get this up here here we go uh, nope never mind we can to be honest we can pronounce it uh, there's more than one Greek word. Let's just look at them the first time they appear, actually, on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we move to Matthew chapter um, 6? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, you know this verse. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor yet for your body what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than raiment? Now, does anybody know the Greek word that Jesus is using here that's translated in English, life? A little bit of Greek. Psyche, right? From where we get the word psyche. Okay, so this is the Greek word psyche, and you'll discover in the next 10 seconds I'm not a Greek specialist, um, so I'm already at the limits here. And um, the word as it's used by the Lord Jesus Christ here, as you can see kind of from the context here, is not talking necessarily about our spiritual life here, is he? Take no thought for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or for your body, what you'll put on. The, the life is more than food and body, more than raiment. And the Greek word Jesus used here was this word psyche. And he's talking here about the more physical aspects of our life, isn't he? That we ought not to be worrying about. Life ought to be more than these things. And all you have to do is turn over to the next chapter, 
to, to see, again, the English word life, but a completely different word used by the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7. Again, verse you'll know really well, verse 13. Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. It's a totally different word here, still translated life in English. Anybody know the Greek word here? This is Zoe. Okay. Don't know if we've got any Zoe's here. Lovely word. And pretty much on every occasion this word is used by the Lord Jesus Christ. You can tell the essence of this, yeah? That those who find the narrow gate discover that it leads to life. And this word means eternal life. It means the quality of life that goes beyond what you eat or drink or the clothes that you wear. This is the kind of life that the Lord Jesus wants to uh, fill us with and to give us by his word, if we are willing to listen to it. And I don't know if you remember in John 6, where we were a moment ago, when, when that discourse ended, uh, Jesus said to the disciples, well, will you also go away? And do you remember how Peter responded to the Lord? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If ever you ever think that Peter was a, a rash person who didn't think about what he said, that's not a fair representation of that. He was the one person that day who fully understood everything Jesus had said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Will you come over to John 5? Because what just just with that introduction, which took most of the talk, um, which is always the case, of course. I want us to think now about the shout with which the Lord will descend. What was it, what will it be, do you think, that the Lord Jesus will shout? And how will you hear it? How will you feel when you hear it? And uh, how will you respond? Will it be like my kids down the garden when they're being asked to tidy their room? Or will it be the most extraordinary, exciting sound you've ever heard? This shout from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this section here in John 5 because John describes the resurrection and he describes it in two stages, which when, when you read it kind of cursorily, kind of causes you, if you're not careful, a bit of a challenge. Because it, it, he, he takes it in two steps. And I want you to notice this really carefully. So the first one is in John chapter 5 and verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Which Greek word do you think that is? It's Zoe. No question here. This is the life that will happen when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God. And you think to yourself, well, when's that then? And, and of whom is he speaking? Because all you need to do is come down a couple of verses... And Jesus almost says the same things again, only this time it's a little different. Verse 28, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, same Greek word, 
And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation or judgment. So two different types of resurrection happening here. And I put it to you, brothers and sisters, they both happen in very different timescales. The first one, there in verse um, 25, is the one that you and I have the opportunity to engage in right now. And that's clear. It's worth just... I was going to do it on the screen, but I can't. And I'm not going to faff around with it, because then all the time will be gone. Just to play, spot the difference between the two verses. And one of the first things you will notice there in verse 25 is, very, very, I say to you, says Jesus, the hour is coming, and now is. It's here, now, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear, not everybody, those who hear will live. And just look at the context there, verse 24. Verily, verily, I said to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And you can see what the Lord Jesus is saying. This resurrection is happening now. This is this lovely use of metaphor in the New Testament where people who are alive can be described as dead. And people who are dead can be described as being alive. And Jesus is doing just that. He said, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, have the opportunity by the power of my word to be brought to life now. To be given this sense of Zoe life, full eternal life. Not in its completeness. That won't be done, of course, until the ultimate resurrection. But that resurrection, no question, if you want to engage in the second, you have to do the first. You can't have one without the other. Only those who will be raised and will be with the Lord forever will be those who were brought to life in the Zoe sense, not in the Psyche sense. Thankfully, um, we'll be able to engage fully in, in the second, which is why he makes the emphasis there in verse 28. The hour is coming in the which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Thessalonians, isn't it? The Lord will descend with a shout... And the dead in Christ will rise first. There is a time coming when all those who are in the graves will hear his voice and they will come forth, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of, of judgment. You can't have one without the other. And it just shows you, doesn't it, brothers and sisters, how powerful the voice of the Lord Jesus is. He commanded the demons to depart from those who were tormented. Do you remember? With a commanding word, and out they came. He spoke to ears who had never heard a thing. Do you remember the man to whom the Lord Jesus said, If Father, be opened. And these ears, which had never heard a sound, somehow the voice of Jesus could penetrate dumb ears that had never heard anything. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him. And he always raised the dead, brothers and sisters, with his voice. Do you remember the, 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 the daughter of Jairus? It was with a word, Talitha Kumai, he said. Do you remember? The widow at Nain, young man, I say to you, he said, arise. God ought, Jesus always raised the dead by speaking with the power of his voice and the creative energy that was always there in the word of God and in the, in the power of God. And did you notice what it says here in John uh, 
John chapter 5 and verse 29, uh, they will come forth. I want you to notice that, that phrase, brothers and sisters, because there is a case study in John's gospel of that very thing being done. In John chapter 11, you remember this occasion? This was the raising of Lazarus. And I'm going to finish by suggesting to you, brothers and sisters, that this might be the shout that the Apostle Paul was referring to. I think there's only two occasions, we're told, the Lord Jesus raised his voice. I think, only two that I can remember. And this is one. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, verse 42, Jesus said to his father in prayer, I knew that you hear me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when thus he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that's exactly what he'd said in John chapter 5, wasn't it? This is the, this is the evidence now to the Jews that this, this prophecy was going to be made a reality. That there is a time coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and they will come forth. And John purposely presents Jesus now as standing outside this tomb, shouting into this tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, princesses, was so powerful, it could wake the dead. And he who was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Isn't that lovely, princesses? There's no wonder, is it, that the Lord Jesus would later say, my sheep know my voice and I will give them eternal life. Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? For this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. There is a resonance in the hearts and minds, brothers and sisters, of those who have embraced the truth that recognise the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ when they hear it. That's the wonder of the power of the word, isn't it, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, brothers and sisters, whether we have really heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you want to hear it on that day, if you want that voice to break the sound barrier of the two and wake you from your sleep, even when no other, in a place where no other voices can reach, I'm sure there are some of you who would have loved the opportunity to have spoken to those who were asleep for your voice still to be heard. Can you imagine what it will be, brothers and sisters, on the day when he returns, that that voice will be heard? You know, there is nowhere for those who have heard his voice now, where, there's no way they will not recognise it. When it comes and it is spoken finally at that great shout, uh, when, when the Lord is here. And in John chapter 12, if you just, I, I need to stop, but if you just scan your eyes down the events that happen next, it's almost as if John plays out now in the events here, a fulfilment of what Paul had described in 1 Thessalonians 4. We read it together uh, as we, just as we started. I didn't want to miss that moment for you to hear the context of, of the words we're thinking about this, this weekend. How uh, the Lord will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. 
and, uh, and, and then we will together be joined with them to go and meet the Lord. And here in, uh, I don't know if you noticed before, in John chapter 12, there's a crowd who leave Bethany with the Lord Jesus Christ, with, the, with the, those who have been raised from the dead. Lovely seeing this. So Jesus begins to make his way to Jerusalem for the final week of his life. And he's bringing with him a man who's been raised from the dead. There is a man in that, co- that company who has literally been raised from the dead. And they're all talking about it. Uh, and uh, you can sense that in just the words that come out here in John chapter 12. Um, let's just pick it up in verse, verse 12. On the next day, many people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. So did you see that? There's a group, of, there's a group coming from Bethany. Lazarus is with them. And there's a group who are in Jerusalem who have heard that Jesus is coming. And when they hear that he's coming, they leave Jerusalem and they go out to meet him. And John carefully is positioning these words. This is a cameo of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the second time. Verse 17. Um, The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead bear record. And for this cause, the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees marveled that all the world has gone after him. So you can see this great meeting of two groups of people. One who have been raised from the dead. One who have heard that he's raised the dead. And they're coming out with palm branches shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus almost ironically states, doesn't he? You will not see me again until you will say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And John paints this picture as a lovely cameo of these two companies. Those who have been raised, those who are alive and remain. And they're coming together to meet the Lord with their palm branches crying out, Hosanna. And John beautifully adds that quote, doesn't he, from Zechariah 9. Which goes on to say, by the way, that the Lord God will blow the trumpet and... uh, Of course, it's in Zechariah where we meet and hear the voice of the archangel. Well, brothers and sisters, let's end our session there. But let's not be under any illusion about the power of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and the need to hear it now. This shout that is that is going to be made, brothers and sisters, on the day of resurrection is one that is being shouted by the Lord Jesus Christ every day. And the challenge is sometimes we play in the garden and, uh, and the voice gets a bit dim, doesn't it? And we, uh, and we wonder whether or not, we may, I'll do it later. I'll come in a minute. I was just finishing what I was doing. They're all the standard answers, aren't they, when you call them in from the garden. I was going to come. Oh, really? When? I don't know. Later. <laughs> and maybe, brothers and sisters, when we hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, we are quick. To hear that voice and to respond. Because, you know, princesses, the waves and the winds still know his name. The voice that could rebuke the sea and drive out demons. That they still respond. The wind and wave haven't lost their sense of the grandeur of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Nate Rebrandt, it's in our daily living. As we listen to his word and read his word, we don't lose the sense of majesty of the lips from whom those words come. So that one day that voice will penetrate even the tombs and the dead in Christ will rise.